Well, good morning. Uh, let's pray. That'll kind of recenter ourselves after talking about our weed party. Um, and then and we'll go to the scriptures. Let's pray together. Good morning, Lord. And we ask that you would uh, speak to every heart in this room and for those watching online. We have a deep desire to not hear from man, but to hear from you. We have a deep desire to be pulled into your presence, to be challenged and convicted and encouraged and loved. And we can only do that if you move around this room. And so guide our hearts, we pray. Take those distractions and set them aside just for a moment. Tune our hearts as we just sang that song. Tune our hearts so that they can be centered with you and hear directly from you. And give us then the courage and the boldness and the strength to honestly wrestle with maybe the truth that you would expose to us. So that all things, the name of Jesus Christ, would be made known and exalted above all else. Is our deep prayer. And we pray it together in Christ's name. Amen. So I have some admissions for you. I want to admit to you I've struggled all week. Uh, if Sandy were up here, she can tell you I've been in a funk all week. Um... Several things have plagued that. Uh, watching the news too much can do that. I don't know if you can relate to that. Just irritated and frustrated and sad and angry and confused and fill in the blank. I, I've been having um, unsolicited uh, debates with people online that want to debate Christ and guns and abortion and it is just seems like all at once and I'm exhausted from it you ever you ever feel like you don't want to debate like you just you just want to have an opinion or a thought and if someone wants to have a conversation with you then great but you just don't really want to debate um Reflecting more on the shootings that took place. For those of you that are new, uh, in my former life, I was a police officer in Southern California, and I have, I have spent more hours than I can count in active shooting training. And just disgusted with our world, really. On Friday, driving, minding our own business, drive by and, and on the side of the road and, and see a couple in the midst of a physical domestic violence and I just can't drive past that. And so I flip around and confront and after a little bit of a physical conversation, convince the gentleman to, it's been his best interest to walk away and sit with this young woman just kind of battered and and broken and 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 really Friday all day Friday and all day Saturday still didn't even have a sermon and just in a funk just 
Like, what the heck is wrong with this world? And, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm in a really good place. I'm super optimistic. Uh, uh, I'm positive. I, I can see the cup half full. But this week, man, got me, and I've been in a funk. And so I want to share with you what God has given me through that journey. And my hope and prayer is that it's encouraging to you, that it's uh, enlightening to you, and, and maybe give some answers because this, this was really the answer that God gave me in looking at the world. Um, and so I trust, I trust with all my heart that it wasn't just given me for me, it was, it was given for you. And I've been challenged in my heart to look up. That, that is the phrase that, that God has given me over this week and really over these past couple days is look up. And I want to share with you what exactly that kind of looks like when it comes to uh, scripture and, and doctrine and theology. I want to share with you uh, maybe an answer of why our world is the way it is. And then I want to share with you what gives you hope, why, why we can worship, why we can sing with a smile, what, like where's the silver lining in all of this? And, and so I'm, I'm hoping to deliver that to you uh, this morning in a really personal way. Is that okay? If you have your Bibles, please open them up. Uh, something that we've really been pushing for, for several months now is to bring your uh, written Bible. Uh, I love my phone. I love my iPad. I, I have tons of stuff on there, but there's something really special to opening up the pages of Scripture. And this guides us, not opinion, not, not self-help, not anything else. The Scriptures guide us. So please, if you have your Bibles, um, bring those on Sundays. If you have them here this morning, or your phone, that's fine. Uh, open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, new to church, new to Christianity, if you go uh, halfway and then hang maybe an inch or so to the right, uh, you should be able to get there uh, at some point. You'll have plenty of time before we get that. Ephesians chapter 2. Before we get to that, I want to explain a few things. The lowest point in the continental U.S., is also the most deserted and the hottest. Does anybody know where that is? Death Valley, very, very good. So Death Valley is awful. If you've ever driven through it, driven around it, been around it, it's ugly, unless you're super interested in that. But that eventually gets old if you've spent any quality time there. Death Valley is completely barren of people, of wildlife, of even plant life. It is like someone dropped a nuclear bomb in that area. Everything is wiped away. It's not somewhere where you go on vacation. But literally just 80 miles to the northwest of Death Valley is the highest point in the continental U.S. Do you know where that is? Mount Whitney. Okay. Mount Whitney is beautiful. Any of you ever been through Mount Whitney, seen Mount Whitney, driven by Mount Whitney? Two of you, three of you? Okay, you guys need to get out. Colorado is not everything, all right? It's most, but it's not everything. 
Mount Whitney is a majestic mountain. It's filled with wildlife. It's filled with rivers and streams. It's filled, it's filled with trees and bushes and flowers. It is absolutely gorgeous. It's kind of the, the mecca of recreational and outdoor life. Two very close destinations separated by merely 80 miles. One kind of the pit of despair where nothing's there, everything's dead, nothing grows. And the other, this majestic where it's almost what's her face on Sound of Music is singing, right? What's her name? Hmm. Maria. Maria, thank you. <laughs> Julie Andrews. <laughs> One traveler once stated this, from Death Valley, you can only look up to the rest of the world. From Death Valley, you can only look up because you're at the bottom. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul takes us down to the Death Valley, to the heart, and then up to the heavenly realms of Jesus Christ. And I want you to look with me at this. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I'll read it. You can follow along. I read out of the New Living Translation. It's also going to be up on the screen, um, but you feel free to follow along. It says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. There's a lot there. He is the spirit at work in all the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our own sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so God can point out to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's method here as he writes is to contrast. Some of you students, you can remember writing uh, comparison and contrast uh, papers or, or, or statements. Paul, in much of his writings, his method is to contrast. And he contrasts from death to life, from hell to heaven. Uh, from optimism to pessimism, from, from bondage to freedom. That, that's what Paul does. But it leaves us with this question, and I want to pose it to you, because this is really the heart of what I've been struggling with this week, is what kind of rescue do you need today? What kind of rescue does our world need today? What kind of rescue does your family need today? What kind of rescue does your workplace need today? And we're going to answer that. Let's start at the beginning. Paul's take on who we are outside of and before Christ is a bit of a Debbie Downer. 
It's not super fun. It's not rah-rah. Here's what he says. Number one, he says we're dead. Number two, he says we're followers of Satan. That's brutal. And number three, he says we're followers of ourselves, closely behind Satan. That, that's how he describes us. Let's start with the dead thing. The chapter begins, once you were dead because of your disobedience, or, or some of your translations might say your trespasses and your many sins. Uh, trespasses and sins are, are two of the words that are used to describe sin in the Bible. Interesting enough, they're, they're the two like most benign, lowest forms of describing it. In other words, the bar is set extremely low. The Bible describes sin and trespasses in a much more horrific, much more accusatory ways, but trespasses and sins are, are these low-hanging fruit to describe it. And there's a reason. Disobedience or, or trespass is pretty self-explanatory for all of us. It's crossing the line or stepping uh, uh, beyond a boundary that you shouldn't go. We all know that. Some of you can remember as a kid trespassing somewhere. He says, keep out, and you're like, that's a suggestion. <laughs> the second word translated here is sin. It means missing the mark. It means aiming at something but missing we were up in Blackhawk at the Montanaries cabin this last week and I set up paper plates for the boys. We bring our Daisy Red Riders and no, they have not shot their eye out, but one of three boys I guarantee might try. And we were shooting and, and at first, man, you talk about missing the mark. They were missing the plate on a regular basis and so working with them and working with them and some of them will remain nameless get super frustrated and others will receive the counsel and the guidance and boom now they're starting to hit the mark sin is missing the mark it's it's a sin of omission it's a sin where we don't follow through with what God is calling us to do and by choosing the, these two particular words, Paul is trying, and the only way that I can figure out how to express this is he's trying to kind of water down a little bit the severity of sin. That's going to be extremely important for us. Because even these trivial offenses, these trivial trespasses or sins or mistakes, these things that are really in the large scheme of things aren't that big of deal. Paul says that because of those things, we're dead. Physically and spiritually. And what the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that we're sick. The Bible doesn't say we have the flu. The Bible doesn't say we're struggling. The Bible says that we're dead. And all of our self-help can't help that. I don't know if you've been around someone who's dead lately. They're dead. 
It is, and if you've never been around someone who's dead, let me help you understand this. It is a, a weird place to be when you're looking at the body and you realize nothing else is going to happen. Dead means dead. I thought about this. You could spend the next six months down at Princeton Cemetery. You could sit down at the grave of Jonathan Edwards. And you could ask every theological question you could think of to Jonathan Edwards. And he is not going to answer you. You, you could go to Abraham Lincoln's grave, which is just a few plots away from my grandparents' grave in Springfield, Illinois. And you, you could go to Abraham Lincoln's grave and you could begin to ask tons of questions about history and politics and when the country's divided. And guess what? You will hear the birds chirping because dead is dead. No matter how long you talk, no matter how loud you talk, you will hear no response. And that is the sobering, sad, destructive fact about death. Our loved ones. Because we so badly want one more conversation or one more hug, or one more laugh, and it's gone. And the Bible says that we were dead in sin. Dead, uh, completely spiritually lifeless. That means a life without God. No matter how physically or mentally fit someone is, they're living a living death. That is that somebody without sin, now let me connect some of these points, the world as we know it, I'll go as far as say the United States as we know it, those who are living without God are living a life, but it's a dead life. You might not already know all this, but for, for me this week, this was, was, uh, was an aha moment. Because it's uncomfortable. It, it feels judgmental to look at the world around us and say, hey, the reason why it's so bad is it's dead. Very rarely do you ever look at someone who's passed away and go, oh, that's just beautiful. Oh, that's just so good. Look at them lay there. It's awful. Dead is not of God. Dead is of sin. Dead is of brokenness. And so it gives an answer to why we are living in the way that we live. Because anything, any life outside of Christ is living a life of death. And anything that shortens that, anything that waters that down isn't being honest with the truth. So that's super fun. But then there's more. Because that's just dead. And that's enough to make you depressed. 
But Paul then says that we're followers of Satan. Guy really knows how to cheer you up. Paul says that we were following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now work in the sons of disobedience. Oh my goodness. The Bible says that not only does Satan exist, but even more, as unbelievers, we followed him. As those without a relationship with Christ, we worshiped, we followed Satan. We don't say his name very often in church. And as one not in a relationship with Jesus, not a common phrase that you will hear, but it is biblical truth that those without a relationship with Jesus Christ are following Satan. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You will serve one or the other. You can't be one of those countries who just says, hey, we're not choosing a side. I love the story of a little girl I heard once who was disciplined by her mother by kicking her brother in the shin and then pulling his hair. Any of you ever have kids that do anything remotely like that? Probably once a month, Sandy and I walk in and make sure one child gets off another child. This little girl had, had punched her brother, kicked his shins, pulling his hair. Mary, her mother, said, why did you let the devil do what you did? And she said, oh, mom, the devil made me kick him in his shin, but pulling his hair was all me. <laughs> There's some honesty. Too often we're like, well, the devil made me do it. Well, you may have done it. But what that story does is it, is it presents Satan's work in a different manner. It stresses that the problem is not outside of ourselves. It's in us. The problem is our corrupt hearts, which willingly and freely satisfy our own desires. You may have heard this phrase, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You might go, man, that sounds a whole lot like the U.S. right now. Well, it sounds a whole lot like Bible. We've seen it. It doesn't end well. And then Paul states, if we're not just dead and we're not just followers of Satan, he says that we're followers of ourselves. Now the world would say, good for you. Follow your dreams. Follow your gut. Be whatever you want to be. You can do anything you set your mind to. Buck up. Follow your conscience. But Paul's take on us following our dreams and desires and our opinions isn't nearly as positive as the world's take on it. Here's what he says. All of us used to live that way. 
following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Paul says, before Christ, we did whatever we wanted to do. We made decisions. Whatever we thought, we did it. We felt it, we did it. We had an opinion, that was our opinion. We have a political view, that's our political view. That we just lived that way, Paul says. Whatever our hearts wanted. But this was not an expression, Paul says, an expression of freedom. It was an expression of being locked up. It was an, it, when, when people talk about, I, I'm free to think and feel and do whatever I want, and no one can tell me otherwise. The Bible says that's not freedom, that's a stronghold. And boy, do we champion it. And every day it seems like it gets more and more severe. Paul says that we were imprisoned to our own will. You ever think you're wrong? You ever think like you're getting it wrong? Like you have a strong opinion. You ever look in the mirror and say to yourself, maybe, maybe you don't have all the answers. Very very few times does that happen anymore. I want you to hear this truth. And I'd love for you to take a picture of it or write it down or whatever because I, I, I want to encourage you to wrestle with it. Here's what it says. There's no more powerful lie that Satan has committed in our world than that freedom is discovered in our own self-expression. Satan's brilliant. He's convinced our culture that if you have your own self-expression, if you have your own thoughts, if you have your own desires, if you have your own opinions, then that's how you experience freedom. And he's convinced an entire generation of it. That's right. When the Bible says, and if you don't believe me, read your Bible. The Bible says, if you give in to your opinions, your desires, your heart, your choices, you're a dead man. Outside of Christ, we're not morally neutral. We're morally sinful. The Bible says that we walked in the course of this world. We were, the Bible says, children of wrath, subject to the evil rule of Satan. That's what me gets you. Me gets you Satan. Galatians chapter 4 verse 3 says, We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Make no mistake, there, there's a ruler in this world... And when we choose me, my, I, and push out everything of God, 
We become slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world, unable to change ourselves from our own rebellion. But Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that we've been rescued. And now I want to give you the good news. That was the bad news. Now I want to give you the good news. Colossians says that we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son in whom he loves. And here was my aha moment this week, especially over the last two days. When I look at the world, when I drive by and someone's beating their girlfriend, when I look at mass shootings, when I look at the corruption of morality and ethics throughout our world, the Bible forecasted life without me looks like this. And it didn't make me smile, but at least it gave me an answer. And I want to make sure you have an answer for why is our world like this? Because when we don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are dead, we are followers of Satan, and we are followers of ourselves. That's brutal. But it gives sense to what we see. It, it, it makes sense to why someone would beat a child or molest a family member or cheat someone out financially. Is it because our country's just getting worse? It has nothing to do with our country. It has everything to do with this world that's out there. And when you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it goes poorly. But we have been rescued from the kingdom of the darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his son. For the Christ follower, for you, if you are a Christ follower, if you have given your life to Christ, if you're watching online and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, when was the last time that you reflected on the deepness of hell from which you were saved? We love to reflect on heaven, whatever that is. We could go around and have you write down, describe heaven. Man, there'd be ponies and, and pools and hot tubs and, and harps and, and gold. And it'd be fascinating to find out what you think of heaven. But when was the last time you dwelt on the deepness of hell from which you have been rescued? That's what causes worship. That's what causes someone whose life has been saved to say, I, for the rest of my life, am indebted to you. When was the last time you reviewed your list of sins that would show that the problem of your rebellion against God was a radical problem that demanded a radical solution? It is so healthy to be introspective on ourselves and to have a healthy awareness of our brokenness. 
at how badly we need a Savior. It's easy to look at the world and say they need a Savior. But it is so healthy, bless you, why we need to look at ourselves. And, and that's a question for you. If you're, already a question, if you're already a Christian, do you accept this assessment of pre-relationship with Jesus? Dead, followers of Satan, followers of self. And now as you examine your soul, are you really free? Or is there this nagging voice or gut check that says you're mostly free, but still there's fill in the blank? Now notice what that means about our salvation. If the Bible's correct, which we believe it is, and we were dead before we are saved, who is the main actor in your salvation? Is it you reaching out to God? Is it you over the course of time having a, a spiritual enlightenment where you say, oh, I get it now? No. The Bible says that salvation comes from God. Only in movies does someone who's dead reach up and scare you. I have hovered over countless individuals who are deceased and I have yelled at them to stay with me to no avail it's not about us discovering God it's about God discovering us and giving us something that we don't deserve. Blessing us with something that, that knocks our socks off. That all of a sudden gives us hope, that, that gives us understanding, that, that gives us reason. You see, dropping us down to the bottom of Death Valley, Paul then takes us up like we're on one of those awful demonic roller coasters. You know, the ones that drop you down and shoot you back up. Those evil mechanisms. Well, Paul says, I'm not going to leave you down in the Death Valley. I'm going to shoot you up to Mount Whitney. I'm going to shoot you up to Mount Whitney with these little words. And listen to what it says. But God. You were dead. You were followers of Satan. You were followers of ourselves. But God. It says, but God is so rich in mercy. I can't read. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead... Because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. Wow. What a story. 
It's not about, it's not a story of finding God, but the story of God's rescue mission for us. It's our Savior's rescue mission. It's our Savior's story. If you're a Christ follower, guess what? It's your story. And so I want to ask you this morning, what kind of rescue do you need? What sort of forgiveness do you need? Scripture is clear. You need a Savior who is completely outside of yourself to give you something that is not of yourself. Why? Because you can't save yourself. Only God can save you. And what kind of Savior has he sent? He sent a Savior who, because he was brought from, from death to life, can bring you from death to life. He can bring your marriage, which is death, and bring life to it. He can bring your addiction, which is death, and bring life to it. He, he can bring uh, life to your dead, anxiety, depression, fear, and he can bring life to that. That's what he does. He is still in that business. He has sent us a Savior who has shown us infinite grace and kindness that thank God will not turn his back on us as a culture. He has sent a savior to offer real forgiveness, not forgiveness that we're kind of used to today that seems pretty shallow and pretty fake, almost like you make your kid go say sorry. That's where kind of forgiveness is in our culture today, but real, authentic, life-giving forgiveness. And this forgiveness, this grace, this mercy, this patience is what causes us to reflect and worship and revisit the table over and over and over. It's what causes us to get out of our funk. And this morning, I open my eyes. First thing, I open my eyes and I'm like, God, please deliver me from this funk. Please keep my eyes so on you that I'm not in this funk anymore. Give me such hope, such encouragement, such life that is only found in you that no matter what I see going on in the world, nothing can bring that down. Please, I beg of you, because maybe you can relate to that funk. It's awful. And when we are worshiping here with Alex Mann and the team, at the beginning said and we were singing I just felt like God came and went I got that no more my hope is that you feel that this morning that the, those arms of God coming up and going I got that no more because when we look up we notice the majestic peaks the blue skies maybe not today the sun know what you find? You. When we look up 
and we've been brought up from Death Valley and we're sitting at the top of Mount Whitney, guess what we find? We find you. You personally. You being found guilty of your crimes against God. You having no place to be in God's presence. You find you and then you find a God who's taking your punishment. Who's taking your place. Who's taking the wrath. Who's willingly taking your sentence in love. And that's the kind of rescuing we need. Friends, that's the kind of rescuing you need. It's the kind of rescuing when we drive outside these doors, the world needs. When you're, when you're watching right now online, whatever context of your world and your life is right now, that's what you need. And it's found in this book. And that's good news in the midst of darkness. So that's how I get out of my funk. That brings us to this table. Table that we've done so many times in our life. If you've grown up in the church, man, it can just seem so routine. I get it. But it's the farthest thing from routine. Because every time we approach the table, you know who's there? God. And he's willing to, to say, hey, not only do you have a place at the table, you got a seat right by me. Now, for some of us, we'd be stoked about that. Others of us, we'd be like, eh, I'm going to go sit at the other end of the table. Why? Because we've got some things to say to God. Maybe we haven't talked to him in a long, long time. Maybe we've got some things that we need to talk about, about what this morning looked like or last night or this year, what it looked like. This table is the most perfect representation of hitting the restart button. The, the most perfect opportunity to come before your Lord Jesus Christ and say, man alive, I am so glad I'm not dead anymore. I am not a slave to Satan. I'm not a slave to myself. I, I'm a follower of you, Jesus, and I'm broken. I make mistakes. I still sin, but boy, I am assured of my salvation in you. Thank you for your body that was broken, your blood that was shed. Thank you. Thank you that you didn't just leave me there. Thank you that you love me enough to take me to a deeper place. And so we're going to worship and we're going to sing. And I want to invite you to come and enjoy the gift. Don't let it be routine. Enjoy the gift. Whoever you are, wherever you are, however your life is, you're welcome here. And then as we worship, allow God to speak to you. And as we prayed at the beginning, have the courage and the boldness to respond in some way. We are all figuring this out together. There's not a single person in this room that's got it all dialed in. We are figuring this out together. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ in the midst and the context of our world? And so if you find yourself struggling with how the heck to do that, you're in good company. So let's pray together. So Father, our, our prayer is that as we come to this table and, and we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember the body 
of your son, Jesus Christ, that was broken for us. And we take the cup, the, the remembrance of the blood that was shed that provided a new covenant that over 600 commands to make sure that we are right in the Old Testament were concluded and found at its pinnacle in your son, Jesus. Please speak in only ways that you can speak. We pray this in the name of Jesus.